0: Welcome to California Groundbreakers, a place that sets trends, starts movements, and shakes up how things are done around the world. We're inviting interesting people doing innovative things to sit down and talk with us about how they're asking and answering the big questions facing all Californians. Our goal is to inspire change across the state, one conversation at a time. Election 2018 is in full swing, and now is the time to start figuring out how you're going to vote. For this edition of our politics-focused series, Policy and a Pint, we're taking a look at Proposition 3, about creating a water bond of nearly $9 billion to invest in things like fixing California's water infrastructure, ensuring safe drinking water, and restoring watersheds and conserving fish habitats. But we already voted on a water bond that passed in the June primary election. And according to Prop 3's opponents, the state still hasn't spent all of the money it borrowed when we passed Prop 1 in 2014. Should taxpayers statewide pay for regional projects that are usually paid for by local water users like farmers and local residents? Prop 3's backers say with the recent drought and overall climate change, California will always have water woes. We need to be ready for them, and they're going to cost money that's well worth being spent. We are down in the basement of Roost Dollar Tap Room in Sacramento to have a discussion with panelists who are giving us the straight talk on water issues in California, Proposition 3, and what it will mean if you vote yay or nay on it.
1: Hi everyone, my name is Vanessa Richardson, I'm Executive Director of California Groundbreakers and we're a civic engagement organization here in Sacramento focusing on innovators doing groundbreaking things around the state of California. Uh, we call these cocktail conversations because we wheel out the cocktail card or provide pints for policy in a pint to make topics that you may consider wonky, quote, unquote, or dry, quote, unquote, um, more relevant, more relatable, and, and definitely more fun to discuss. And tonight we're holding a policy in a pint, which is our monthly discussion on politics, policy, everything coming out of the Capitol that affects you and me as taxpayers, voters, residents. And this year obviously is a great one to hold these a policy in a pint because it's an election year. So we're focusing on the general election ballot uh, for these discussions. We discussed housing and taxes in the past few events, and this evening the topic is how are you gonna vote on the environment? So we're holding discussions with panelists who whether they're for an initiative, against, neutral, The goal is to have them give us the straight talk in plain English on local propositions, statewide propositions and races, and what it means if you vote yay or nay on each. So right now, we're going to take a look at Proposition 3. And it's an $8.8 billion bond, I'm rounding up, uh, water bond to invest in things like fixing California's water infrastructure, ensuring safe drinking water, managing groundwater wisely, restoring our watersheds, and conserving fish habitat. To me, I just thought, well, that sounds like a slam dunk. This sounds like environmental groups would be on board, right? Nope. This bill, when I was looking at the support and the opposition, it's all over the place. Um, People on this side who are for Prop 3 include Dianne Feinstein, uh, John Cox, who is a Republican uh, governor, um, uh, the California Rangeland Trust supports it, Western Growers, uh, the California Wildlife Society, National Audubon Society. But on the other side, opposing it are Anthony Rendon, a Democrat who's our former assembly speaker, the League of Women Voters of California, Friends of the River, Save the American River Association, and the Sierra Club, which I think I read that they stated Proposition 3 is fiscally irresponsible, and that some of the projects could actually worsen environmental quality in California. And it's also interesting to me, when I was doing research, you know, looking at op-eds, around the state, uh, the Fresno B supports Prop 3, but I noticed newspapers on the coastal, more urban areas, quote unquote blue state areas, were against it. That includes Sacramento where we're here today. I'm not sure if that's blue or red or rural or urban, but LA Times is against it, San Francisco Chronicle, San Diego Union. So I don't know if that means anything specifically, but it definitely, there's a lot of big names at either side, a lot of interest in how this will go, and it seems like however the outcome of Proposition Proposition 3, whether it passes or not, it seems like when we vote on this, we are voting on the future of water in California and how it's going to be managed. So before I get to the panelists introducing themselves, I want to give a few special thanks to people who helped make this this uh, event possible we're holding this event uh in Roost dollar tap room in downtown sacramento i want to thank the owner j.e paino of Roost dollar beer who's also a board member of california groundbreakers who's been very supportive and uh, his number two right hand person Zoe pineda who's helping us with the event tonight so thanks to them i also want to thank the panelists of course taking time out of what's obviously a very busy time right now for you so thank you for coming and to you the audience for coming out as well So the event is 30 minutes of Q&A by the moderator, moderator, which is me, followed by 30 minutes of audience Q&A. So I'd like to start actually by having the panelists introduce themselves because you know each other, you know yourself uh, very well and you probably know each other as well too. But besides asking your name, and your current role and organization that you work at. I always like to get a personal, a little background about you that fits with this topic. So my personal question for each of you is I wanted to, uh, have you tell us about your favorite stretch stretch of water in California since we're going to be talking about water? Whether it's a, a beach on the coast, a lake to swim in, a river to raft down or fish in, a pond in a park where you like to feed the ducks, what have you. Just your favorite stretch of water in California. So I'm going to start with, uh, I'm, a left, I'm a lefty, so I'm going to start with the gentleman on my left.
2: Hi. Hello. Yes. I'm Eric Parfrey. I'm uh, currently the um, Chairman of the State Executive Committee for the California Sierra Club. As you know, the Sierra Club is quite a large organization in California. We have about, I think, 650,000 members or something like that in California, by far the biggest concentration in the world. We have a couple million people worldwide as, as official members. So I've been active in the Sierra Club since the mid-90s. I am a city planner who is just about to retire i worked for san joaquin county and contra costa county and most recently out in yolo county and i'm just going to retire in a couple weeks so i'm very much involved in land use issues and and i've increasingly been involved in water issues also Um, my wife and i moved out from the east bay almost 30 years ago and we've lived in stockton for the last 28 years so we're right on the edge of the delta So when you ask what's my favorite waterway, you know, we're flat water kayakers. We we kayak a lot of the Delta. We like to go to the Delta Meadows out by the little town of Lock. We like to go to the Cosumnis Preserve, which is about a half hour south of here on the Cosumnis River off of I-5. We like to go to, you know, the McHelmney River in the Lodi area, and then we like to go up into the the mountains to Silver Lake and all these other pristine lakes, you know, up at seven or eight thousand feet
1: it's a lot of a lot of favorite stretches of water yeah (laughs) all right and the gentleman on my right
3: hello i'm Uh I'm jerry not alive though there we go jerry merrill i'm the uh director of the california water program at the natural heritage institute um i'm also the founder of friends of the river the tuolumne trust and a co-founder of american rivers a national organization Uh, My favorite uh, water, I would say, is the Tuolumne River because we fought for many, many years to get it put into the National Wild and Scenic River system and we were successful back in 1984. I was also the chair of the Sierra Club Water Committee for many years and I've been a member of the Sierra Club 51 years. Um, No question that um, there's a lot of beautiful waters in California, they need to be preserved, and I hope we're gonna talk about that tonight.
1: And I guess I, I'm not sure if you mentioned this, but I think I may add this, Jerry, if I, if I read correctly, you're the one who pretty much wrote Proposition 3 and, and got it on the ballot.
3: Well, of course, no initiative is done by one person, but I had a lot to do with writing it and uh, organizing the campaign for it, getting more than 100 conservation groups around the state, including some of the ones you mentioned, to endorse it, as well as many other uh, civic organizations throughout the state. I think we have the longest endorsement list of any measure on the ballot this year. So
1: I, I want to start with you. I wanted you to give us a background on Proposition 3. I feel like every, every proposition that we have discussed so far has always a good backstory, and there's obviously reasons why uh, people decided to put on the ballot. So for you, the question is, you know, why you decided to, to uh, write Proposition 3, put on the ballot, um, and then also, what it, you know, a summary of what it entails, what the ideal outcome would be if it passed.
3: Okay, well, let's start with an audience quiz. Who here feels that their drinking water at home is unsafe? Anybody? They're not safe to drink. Good for you. You probably live in the city of Sacramento or one of the suburban areas, and it's true. Your water supply is perfectly safe, but there are over 600,000 people in California who would raise their hand when they were asked that question. They are drinking arsenic, lead, chromium, industrial chemicals of various kinds because they have no other water supply and in many cases cannot afford to buy bottled water. These are in disadvantaged communities. And the original motivation for doing proposition three was to do what the legislature has miserably failed to do and that is to provide safe drinking water to the poor people in those disadvantaged communities who desperately need a safe drinking water supply the single largest allocation in proposition three is for safe drinking water in disadvantaged communities however we had to follow the governor's water action plan the governor governor jerry brown developed a very detailed water action plan Uh, that is, I think, pretty well thought out. And so if you look through Proposition 3, you'll see things that the governor said we need to do. Better manage our groundwater, do water conservation, recycle wastewater, desalt inland contaminated water supplies, restore the Sierra Nevada, which has been horribly damaged by fire, by drought, beetles, and so on, and a wide variety of water management programs that will result in a more safe and reliable water supply for the state. That's why it's been endorsed by more than 100 water agencies throughout the state, including the city of Sacramento and also the American River Parkway Foundation, because one of the elements in here is $30 million to improve the American River Parkway. But that's a brief fly-through.
1: All right. So, Eric, for you, the question is pretty simple. Your organization's Sierra Club is against Proposition 3. Uh, Can you give a, a summary about why?
2: Yeah, um, before I forget, I brought 50 copies of a back and side fact sheet from the Sierra Club point of view, which outlines kind of six of our points where we have issues with it. And it's right there on the table. It's right up here. If anyone of you want to come up here and get that, that's fine. I'm not going to go through that and read it verbatim. Um, I will point out, as Vanessa uh, alluded to, that the majority of the editorial pages up and down the state have come out in strong opposition to this proposition. I don't feel like I have to give you kind of the standard Sierra Club spiel about what we have problems with I would like to just read excerpts from a couple of these editorials which were very very good um, there are, there are eight newspapers major newspapers who have come out against um, against the uh... proposition they include the san francisco chronicle um, the los angeles times uh... the mercury news the desert sun the orange county register that bastion of con- environmentalism santa cruz sentinel san diego union tribune and uh... that's it there have been two newspapers who have actually supported the proposition the fresno Bee. no big surprise and then the Santa Rosa Press Democrat, which called it a, sh- a very tough decision, but they actually supported it in, in an editorial. To start off with the the San Francisco Chronicle, I just want to read you this editorial because it's very short and sweet and to the point, which is kind of surprising coming from the Chronicle. But California workers uh, voters may be wondering why they are looking at an 8.9 million dollar water bond on the November 6 ballot. They may be asking, didn't we just approve a four billion dollar bond in June, why are our elected officials coming back for more? The short answer, they aren't. Unlike the recently passed bond, Prop third Prop three did not go through the legislative process. It's four hundred and thirty million in annual spending commitments over the next four decades will not need to go through the annual legislative budgeting cycle to ensure that the funds are going where the voters intended. This scheme was devised as an initiative that is being funded in part by individuals and entities that are going to be receiving a share of the bond money. This pay to play aspect, in and of itself, should give voters ample reason to reject Prop 3. There are also good policy reasons to vote no. So, very pithy, short editorial from the Chronicle. If I have time, I'll just read one more editorial excerpt. This is from the San Diego Union Tribune on September 11th prop 3 asked voters to approve 9 million 9 billion in bonds for water projects it has service appeal the state's need for improved water infrastructure and new water storage facilities is plain but there are strong reasons to reject it the first and most obvious is that prop 3 is on the ballot not because the legislature thought it was necessary but because of signature gatherers paid by those who stand to benefit from the bond a July 16th Cal matter story noted that more than half the money raised to promote the measure came from business groups and farmers seeking specific improvements especially to the 152 mile long free and Kern canal in the Central Valley that's why 750 million dollars in the bond is set aside for canal repairs this pay-to-play approach to ballot initiatives is not new but it should still not be rewarded and then finally um, the Mercury News wrote a very insightful um, editorial on September 19th. It starts out by saying Prop 3 is a classic pay to play initiative that California voters should soundly defeat on November 6th. Voters should reject this end run around the legislative process. The backers of Prop 3 couldn't get the legislature and Governor Jerry Brown to support the concept of another water measure when they floated the idea earlier this year. State officials knew that they had just gone to voters in June with Prop 68, a $4.1 billion natural resources bond measure that included $1.5 billion for water projects. 57% of voters okayed that Prop 68, going back to the well so soon was and still is asking too much. That didn't deter Prop 3 proponents. They instead simply went behind closed doors and concocted this measure, loaded up with water projects that would draw campaign funding from those who would eventually benefit they were also politically savvy enough to put some projects on the prop three laundry list think safe drinking water and cleaning up the San Francisco Bay that would pull out uh, voters heartstrings so these are not the Sierra Club words these are the words of the editorial boards now certainly Sierra Club people including myself talked to the editorial board we presented our side Jerry went and presented his side. But I have to tell you, when six of the eight major newspapers in the state come out against a state proposition, you all should take that into account, because it doesn't happen all that often.
1: So Jerry, I have a question for you then, based on on, um, what Eric Eric was mentioning about the proposition that passed in June, and then Proposition 3. I guess what the question is what's the difference in, and, and then why the need for Prop 3 when we, we pass this other water bill? And I guess the part two uh, question of that is I was wondering like, if there's specific projects that Proposition 3 would be trying to get done, created, fixed, if there's a, a couple of examples you can give about you know, where the Prop 3 uh, money would go to for specific projects.
3: Sure, well uh, first of all I should say uh, that newspapers don't like initiatives. They think everything should go through the legislature, that's a common belief, and generally their advice is rejected on initiatives. In fact, there was a school bond two years ago that all those same papers said, oh, this is terrible, it was an initiative, we shouldn't have school bonds through the initiative process. The voters approved it with 56%. So newspapers, they like the sort of normal legislative process, fine, but the voters really have the last say and they tend to favor initiatives, and in fact, they passed over half of them last time. In answer to the question of what about Prop 68 that was on the ballot in June? Uh, that was an urban park bond. And if you listen to the legislative debate on the floor of the Senate and the Assembly, they said correctly that we need more urban parks for our people, who especially poor people who don't have, you know, good urban parks. And then they said, maybe a little bit cynically, well, parks aren't all that popular with the voters. Let's put a little water in there. So they put some good things in there for water, but in a very minor amounts, a billion dollars or so for water. This state has a huge deficit in terms of our ability to uh, implement safe drinking water programs, manage our groundwater, do wastewater recycling, protect the rivers. A billion dollars was really just window dressing in Prop 68 to get the voters to approve it. Hey, it worked, the voters did approve it. But did that solve our water problems? Not a chance. And we haven't had a water bond, a serious water bond for four years, and uh, we've run out of that bond funding pretty much, and we've got to approach it. Um, so I think that the voters will see through the idea that initiatives are bad in one way or another. Generally, voters like to keep and maintain the initiative process. And I do think that the fact that we have the endorsements of civil society in California, 100 conservation groups, including many national groups like National Wildlife Federation, Audubon, uh, and so on, and business farming, environmental justice groups, the groups who spend day in and day out trying to get safe drinking water for poor people. They've all endorsed this measure. We have Community Water Center. that just got the Irvine Award. I have a lot more faith in groups like that than I do in the newspapers. What was the other second part of the question?
1: i guess specific projects that uh, uh prop right. 3 would fund okay if passed.
3: well here in sacramento uh, i was out on the american river parkway today and i hope many of you get a chance to enjoy it it's not in great shape i mean some of the bike path is really crumbly there's a lot of invasive plants there's we all know about the homeless problem there's 30 million dollars in this to improve the american river parkway that will go to the county to work on the parkway uh, in addition around here we know that the city is trying, and the and the community uh, groups around the city are trying to do wastewater recycling with this huge new plant we're building here in Sacramento to recycle that wastewater so it doesn't just flow out to the sea and not have any purpose. And so we have 400 million dollars to help provide projects like that with additional funding. Some of the other particular projects that was mentioned in the Chronicle editorial. THE IMPROVEMENT OF SAN FRANCISCO BAY, THE WETLANDS RESTORATION IN SAN FRANCISCO BAY, AND WHICH PROVIDES FLOOD PROTECTION, THAT'S A VERY HIGH PRIORITY AND THAT'S WHY WE'RE ENDORSED BY SAVE THE BAY ASSOCIATION. HERE IN THE SACRAMENTO AREA, EVERYONE KNOWS WE ARE IN A TERRIBLE FLOOD SITUATION. GRANTED, WE'VE SPENT BILLIONS TO IMPROVE Folsom DAM, TO GET THE LEVEES BACK IN SHAPE, BUT WE NEED MORE INVESTMENT AND THIS MEASURE DOES INCLUDE FUNDING TO THE CENTRAL VALLEY FLOOD BOARD so that we do have a chance to continue to upgrade our levees. If we don't do that sooner or later we're going to have a big disaster here in Sacramento. It's the second worst uh, flood threat area in the in the country after New Orleans. So those are some examples of projects that we have.
1: Okay. And then Erica the Wanted to go back to you and the opposition, you know, mentioned pay-to-play a lot. So it sounds like some money is going to go to specific groups, and that's not a good thing. So can you expand on this pay-to-play thing that you think may happen if, if, or if Prop 3 passes? Yeah.
2: So, again, not words coming from me or the Sierra Club, but this is an excerpt from the L.A. Times editorial that appeared just last week, October 12th. Uh, it says, Prop 3 is not merely a request for money, but an effort to force taxpayers all across the state to pay costs that ought to be home borne by the private or regional interests that will benefit. That kind of cost shifting isn't always easy to spot in a bond measure. In this case, it is. The biggest single pot of bond money would go to shore up aqueducts that deliver water from Sierra Rivers to fields and orchards on the eastern side of the San Joaquin Valley, roughly between Fresno and Bakersfield. This is the friant kern canal, 140 miles of the canal down there, which is a critical piece of infrastructure. As drought and environmental remediation have limited the supply of water for irrigation, more farms farmers have pumped more groundwater, which depletes the aquifer and causes the land to drop in elevation. That subsidence plays havoc with the canals and aqueducts, which also drop in some places, making them unable to carry as much water to the fields, which then produce much less and return even smaller and non-existent profits to farmers. More farmers then pump more groundwater to compensate for the loss of aqueduct water. It's a self destructive cycle. The aqueducts need to be filled, need to be fixed, but they need to be fixed by their owners, operators, and beneficiaries, not by the public at large. They are part of the Central Valley Project, a federal irrigation program, and the federal government and the farmers should be spearheading the repairs and paying the bulk of the cost the 750 million dollars that is earmarked for the freant kern canal improvements is by far the most uh, disgusting part of this prop 3 laundry list uh, which is a christmas tree of special gifts to all sorts of special interests the cost of repairing the freant kern canal is variously uh, estimated at somewhere between a couple hundred million dollars or as low as thirty five million dollars the estimates are all over the uh, all over the the range that we've seen but it's sure as hell is not 750 million dollars needed so what are they going to do with all this extra money that the taxpayers are going to give them God only knows they're probably gonna try to build the temperance flat dam on on the San Joaquin River, uh, which is a project that the Sierra Club adamantly opposes and it will fight to the bitter death. So this is the single most obnoxious project in this Prop 3 laundry list. And it's a perfect example where if you look at the major con- contributors to Prop 3, right at the top of the list, you got a lot of the fish and hook crowd, the duck hunters and the you know people who are gonna, uh, benefit from wetlands, that's fine. But you also have Stuart Resnick, who's one of the largest single uh, agriculture, corporate agricultural farmers in the world. He was, he's behind Palm Wonderful and all. He owns hundreds of thousands of acres down there, and he's you know, ponying up a couple hundred thousand dollars for this proposition. So this proposition has about $4 million behind it you will probably start getting all sorts of bullshit in the mail, you know, about a, a, about a week before the election that will talk about how great, you know, this proposition is. We on the other hand, we have like $2.75 to, on this election. So it will it'll be very one-sided and Jerry might be very right. People might get all warm and fuzzy about this is a water bond. But keep in mind, this is $9 billion with a B. That's a hell of a lot of money. That is just a lot of money. That's a half, million, half a billion dollars a year for the next 40 years that we're paying. And that half billion is going to go for this Christmas tree of special projects for special interests instead of going to schools or, or paving potholes or whatever or going to kids. You know. So take, take that into account. Yeah, everyone thinks this, these, uh, these uh, bonds are kind of like free money and that's totally not the case. We're all paying for them. So
1: So Jerry, I have a question for you related to that on the money. We've been asking in terms of a lot of the propositions about um, um, transparency and accountability when it comes to spending. So for Proposition 3, who would have oversight on how the bond money is spent? What would be the process for making the spending transparent and holding the authorities accountable for you know where the money's going is there what's the mechanism for that in prop 3
3: well the first transparency is that when you do raise money for a ballot measure you have to list all of your top donors not just on your campaign reports but actually in your ads so if you get a piece of mail from us it will list the top three donors and we're proud to say it's Ducks Unlimited the California Wildlife Foundation and the California Waterfowl Association And why are these environmental groups investing in this measure? Because it provides water for fish and wildlife and also habitat restoration. At one time, that was a priority for the Sierra Club. It's kind of gone away, I guess. But nevertheless, to most conservation groups, that's something they want. And billions of dollars of this measure will go into restoring wetlands and improving wildlife habitat, which is something that the state is sadly underfunded. And so far as transparency goes, we always list those donors. And when this measure passes, money will go to the various state agencies. So it will go to the Department of Water Resources, the State Water Resources Control Board that runs the Safe Drinking Water Program, the Department of Fish and Wildlife. And they will have to have, and the measure requires, they will have to have a website that shows every application that they get for funding, they're all state agencies, and then how they would make their grant allocations to those people. And there's a required audit. The legislature itself can impose an audit. They can have oversight hearings. I think we have more in the way of transparency in this measure than maybe any other measure on the ballot. By the way, all the arguments about fiscal responsibility, the Sierra Club starting to sound a little bit like the Howard Jarvis Taxpayers Association. But the Howard Jarvis Taxpayers Association does not oppose this measure. And the reason is they recognize that the state is a dry state. It rains in the north. The need is further south in Sacramento and farther south. And if we don't maintain and improve our water supplies, which this measure definitively does, when the next drought comes along, the last one will look like something we will fondly remember. So with climate change, we know that if we don't maintain and improve our water supply, the state's economy will be threatened, people's livelihood and even lives will be threatened because people need water, and that's what this measure provides.
1: So I'm going to start uh, asking people to line up uh, if, they have, if they have great questions. Well, questions, but I know they're all good. At the mic, which is over there uh, to the far left, and then the line can just snake around the steps. So if you have a, a question, uh, please start lining up, and, and, and while you do, I'll ask one. Um, I would say I'll start with, with, with Jerry on this one, and then Eric, if you want to respond um, obviously, we have the Legislative analyst Office, nonpartisan, that uh, looks at uh, every fiscal measure that the state may be undertaking to estimate, you know, how much it's going to cost taxpayers and what the, how long it will be to pay off. So for Proposition Three, they estimated the state cost of 17.3 billion to pay off the bonds over 40 years. And then there is one here. This, this is an issue I wanted to ask you about, Jerry. Um, it states, "quote varying fiscal effects on individual local governments, depending on specific projects undertaken, amount of grants and loans received, and amount of local cost share required." So I guess it's I didn't I didn't read the whole thing, but then you can and and expand on that. But I guess when I saw that, I thought, okay, obviously there's individual local governments that are going to have certain projects in their area, um, which would probably have the The I guess the bulk I regional or local government area. What would have the bulk you think of? uh, projects undertaken in their area and uh, Fiscal effects they would feel and then you can expand on the area that I may not have Mentioned
3: well when you go home and actually look at your ballot, you'll see the the uh, fiscal analysis that uh, Was just read but it ends with this statement savings to local governments in the hundreds of millions of dollars, I think they say a couple hundred million dollars a year over the next two decades. And why will that have the effect of lowering your water rates, perhaps lowering your taxes, is because the state will come in to projects that your local government wants to do. Improve the levees around Sacramento, build a wastewater recycling plant, implement water conservation, which we need to do more of in the Sacramento area. And the state Will augment the local funding, and that will reduce the demand for funding from the local agencies. And that's why the legislative analyst said this will save local governments hundreds of millions of dollars a year because of state participation. So I don't dispute at all what the legislative analyst said about the costs. But here's the thing about bonds: if you look at the state budget, state overall budget, and you say how much is going in for capital outlay for, you know, building things, schools mass transit, water, hospitals, and things like that? The answer is none. We don't actually invest the general fund in building up the infrastructure of the state because there's a huge demand for the general fund to pay things like in-home supportive services and healthcare, day-to-day operations of state and local government. But capital outlay, the investment of our infrastructure to keep the state actually running, always gets pushed to the end. And how we do that is we do bonds. The same way you would do if you buy a house and get a mortgage, you're, you're going to have to pay it off over 30 or 40 years, but you get to enjoy the benefits of having your house. That's how the state does capital outlay. We sell bonds. There is an interest cost, but that's how we we're able to maintain ourselves. The only real exception is the gas tax, because the gas tax pays for uh, roads and transit as a sort of a pay-as-you-go thing. But all the rest of our infrastructure over many, many years and many, many bond acts is paid through voter-approved bonds.
1: So local governments would have the decision, they would have the say about what projects to take on and and where the funding would go and how they would account for it. Eric, does that sound like such a bad thing?
2: Um, I think think, uh, Mr. Merrill's painting a very rosy picture, but the fact remains that this is a bond that's going to allocate one hell of a lot of money, and there are going to be less controls over how that money is spent than a normal legislative process even when we approved prop one which I guess was about four years ago which was the last really big water bond um, which and, and the, the monies are being allocated now through the state water commission it's a very rigorous process it's a totally open process there are lots of public hearings it has been going on for years there's none of that in this this is going to be decisions made by bureaucrats and state agencies there are not going to be any public hearings there is no oversight commission created by this proposition to make sure that everything is not being um, whitewashed or put into some sort of slush fund this is not usually the way things get done Uh, one thing i'd like to go back to uh, jerry mentioned the plight of mostly extremely poor Hispanic people who are living in communities down in the southern San Joaquin Valley and drinking really crappy water. That is just, that is a, it's beyond a public shame, the the fact that we live in such a relatively wealthy state that people can't even drink decent water down there in places like, you know, Selma and some of these other smaller communities. And it's been a real failure on the part of the legislature and the governor that we have not been able to solve this problem. There have been numerous bills that have failed. They haven't got quite the, the right number of supporters. And Jerry mentioned that by far the biggest part of this bond would be go to help those struggling families down there that are buying bottled water, basically, to even shower with. And that's not really technically accurate. The amount of money that this bond allocates for for, allo- for, for for trying to alleviate that really serious water quality problem in these struggling poor Hispanic communities is $750 million. That's the same amount that's being allocated to the rich farmers down in Fresno and Tulare County for free and current canal improvements. So I hate to sound cynical, but this is a fig leaf that's being put on the Prop 3 um, uh, markers to get people to feel sorry f- and then we're finally going to take care of this awful awful problem which absolutely it's a disgrace that we haven't been able to resolve in the state but it's a fig leaf and you know there are some good projects a lot of good projects in this long list of, of uh, uh, Christmas tree ornaments here on the tree but too many of them are questionable They're getting taxpayers to subsidize private interest. They should be paying for these things on their own. And also, you know, (coughs) there's just this whole issue of beneficiary pays. The people who get the benefits have to pay. And we need to reestablish in the state that people who receive water to be able to grow crops and, you know, put produce in our grocery stores, they have to pay for that water it's not right that the public pays more and more subsidies to these people to to fix up their canals or you know we already subsidize their water you know through state and federal laws to an enormous extent and you know that's bygone laws but you know we have to kind of hold the line here and this this proposition has some very dangerous aspects to it including using cap and trade funds to subsidize energy costs for special interests. And that's buried in all the final final uh, the fine print there. You know, and cap and trade funds are supposed to be devoted specifically to reducing greenhouse gas emissions in the state and really attacking climate change. And to be giving subsidies to private interests to subsidize their energy costs is not Going to do anything to reduce greenhouse gases it's just going to subsidize these corporate large corporations
1: jerry
3: i just have to say there isn't a word of truth to that last statement i urge you to go to your voter handbook that the secretary of state just sent you and read section six that eric was just talking about dealing with cap and trade it specifically says That the water agencies have to spend all that cap-and-trade money to reduce emission of greenhouse gases It's only can be spent by public agencies not by corporations And why frankly the Sierra Club makes up this stuff and puts it out is totally beyond me Just go home and read it and you'll see it's not true
1: So I know there's got to be someone with a good question out there. All right, So. so All right. first question at the mic
4: there we are. All right. Uh, my question is to the gentleman to my right. It, I don't e- remember your name. Eric. Terrible names. Eric. Hi. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> I, I'm hearing a lot of your concerns with the proposition. What I'm curious to know is if this doesn't there pass. We there we go. Okay. If this doesn't pass, what would you do differently? How would you propose this? Or what changes would you propose?
2: That's the very legitimate question. And I think that was one of the questions. That was you one were, of the questions yes, I did. It, uh, I mean, yeah. you know, if we're going to start criticizing we have to come up with the alternatives water is a very 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 difficult issue in the state of California I don't have to tell you guys this you know everyone knows that it's very contentious it's always controversial there are a huge amount of money to be made on all sides it really is such a huge issue that it's really should go through a a quote-unquote normal legislative process So that's one of the biggest concerns we have with a proposition that's cooked up behind closed doors after being shopped to 300 groups and, you know, the groups that sign on and then agree to fund, you know, the campaign contributions to pass this thing, they get their little projects filled in there. We don't know whether these specific projects are the right projects for us in California because it doesn't go through public hearings you know through the state legislature and I know a lot of people have problems with you know elected officials and the legislative process but we have a reasonably good clean legislative process here this is not not like New York or someplace where it's just corrupt as hell quite frankly you know and when and when you have a, a relatively good legislative process you should use it on these really really difficult problems the Sierra Club has been very, very upfront about what we are proposing in terms of specific uh, legislative fixes, which admittedly is kind of tinkering around the sides of the water issue. I mean, there is no magic silver bullet here for the water issue. So I guess my
4: follow-up question then would be top three items you could take out, and what would you put back in?
2: From this bond? Yeah. Well, obviously, we hate this subsidy of uh, corporate ag down in the southern San Joaquin Valley to, to repair a canal that's being destroyed because the farmers are over pumping um, that's their responsibility and they need to take care of it it's not the it's not taxpayers in Eureka or you know San Diego who should be helping to you know reconstruct this canal there that goes to you know growing uh, almonds for Stuart Resnick down in Fresno um, there are other things um, that we don't like about this bond, the ca- we think that the cap and trade money is being misused. Sierra Club is very pure. We believe that cap and trade, which is a very flawed program, we don't particularly like it, but we have it, and that's our main vehicle to raise money, huge amounts of money, when we, they have they market these you know credits, to really do something about uh, climate change, to reduce greenhouse gas emissions, and we don't like it when Private interests come forward and try to get a little of this cap and trade money for projects that are very, very questionable about you know the greenhouse gas reduction benefits. Okay.
4: And you, and you, young man, what do you? What would you change?
2: I wouldn't. I wrote a lot of this and worked
3: with three hundred groups. The Sierra Club was solicited for comments many times during the drafting of this, and I still have their emails when they asked for changes, which we made. So it wasn't like a closed process. They were part of it. A lot of other people were. Uh, I think the idea that we're going to go back, defeat this measure somehow and go back to the legislature and go, oh, would you please take care of our water problem? In the last 20 years, the water bonds have except with one exception, have come from the initiative process, two of which were very similar to this that the Sierra Club vigorously supported. So their position apparently is changing on that. The legislature doesn't have water experts anymore. And the interest in water and the coastal uh, communities is pretty small, so the Central Valley tends to get left behind. I would say this on the on the aspect of helping farmers, did anybody here eat dinner tonight? No, probably not, because you don't think farmers are good. Actually the growth of the vegetables and fruit that we enjoy in California, the three top agricultural producing counties in the country and mostly in the world, are in fact in this very area that that we're trying to benefit. And the idea that somehow just stick it to the farmers because they don't have a lot of votes and we don't really know what they're growing and we don't even see what they're doing, but we enjoy what they produce. And so the idea that they shouldn't benefit at all from a big bond act like this, I just have to reject that. This is the top agricultural state in the country. We don't want to stop growing stuff here because we'll be importing it on airplanes from Peru and think about the climate change implications of that. So keep in mind that we do eat what they grow. It isn't just almonds by any means. It's almost every crop you enjoy every day. And uh, the subsidence of the canal that has been discussed and needs to be fixed, which Eric acknowledged and the newspapers acknowledged, was not the fault of the farmers in that district. We can go into the details of that. It was different people doing groundwater pumping. But the main thing is there's a lot of animosity in the environmental community about farmers and agriculture in general. It's understandable in a way because they use pesticides and they've drained rivers and so on and so forth. But frankly, we used to have an attitude in this state that environmentalists and farmers could find a way to get along. And this measure, which has the support of all the agricultural organizations, a hundred conservation groups including Audubon, National Wildlife Federation, Nature Conservancy, those people aren't crazy. They didn't endorse this because of the farm aspect necessarily, but they want to get along. We are one state, and I think a measure like this demonstrates. Please go home and go to our website, waterbond.org, pretty easy to remember. Just waterbond.org and see who the endorsers are of this. They'll be the groups that you're a member of and that you know.
1: Thank you. Thank you. Very good questions. Um, I and then while the next uh, great question comes up to the mic, I, I did want to ask about that. I, you you talked about this little uh, Jerry, but I I thought it was interesting too. You know, Central Valley. It just seems like there's for many. Propositions or aspects of um, legislation in in California, there's always an aspect of, you know, Central Valley, you know, inland um, areas versus the coast. And uh, obviously ag is a big part, but a lot of, um, there's a lot of people in on the coast. so. I guess, especially when I saw those op eds where there's, you know, Fresno was a support of it, but a lot of the cities on the coast are not. I was wondering if this is something where there's a rural versus urban um, or blue state versus red state argument about who gets more and who gets less. To me, it's like the Central Valley is the backbone of agriculture, there's a lot of water that comes through. Um, so I guess. Maybe this is double's advocate question, but if Prop Three improves the water there, um, and it's coming towards the rest of the state south uh, to the coast, doesn't that uh, benefit all of us in in California? Uh, so I guess this question is for you, Eric. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, you know maybe maybe Jerry, you want to respond? But um, is there some kind of uh, you know uh, it's There's some, you know, the pay-to-play, but there's some areas of the state that are benefiting more, but isn't that a good idea if that's where the water is coming out of towards the rest of us, or it doesn't work that way?
2: Yeah, I mean, those are very good questions. The whole issue of the increasing divide in California between rich coastal areas where 70% of the people live who are much wealthier than the 30% of the people who live east of, you know, the Altamont past or or north of the Tehachapi Mountains or out in the Inland Empire. I mean, that's huge, and it's been well-documented, and books have been written about this, and it's, it's getting worse, and it's part of the whole growing inequity in our entire, frankly, American society, and we're seeing it replicated in California. Again, this is not like rocket science for most of the people who read newspapers. It's true that the Central Valley has fallen far behind in terms of receiving some of the benefits from say even the spillover growth from the immense job creation in the Silicon Valley or to the lesser extent in Southern California. Um, the infrastructure of the water system is such that obviously the rain falls in the mountains the major rivers in northern California flow to the coast, a major part of that uh, system gets pumped to southern California, either to the southern San Joaquin Valley, where it goes to grow almonds, which are largely imported to Japan and other places, or else it goes to Metropolitan Water District in San Diego to fill swimming pools and you know let people drink from faucets down there southern california is doing a much better job on water conservation and they have been for the last twenty years you know and we have to keep saying that because people in northern california cannot get smug about this you know literally with an eye shot you got two major rivers flowing through sacramento and everyone looks at that and says we don't have a water problem here you know there's plenty of water we don't have to worry about you know water conservation or anything in southern california they have to worry about it and they've been doing <coughs> really a good job over the last 20 years so i would almost say that even though we have a major major uh divide between you know the 30 percent of the people who live in the in uh, you know uh, east of the uh, the richer coastal areas we have a major divide but still between northern california and southern california we've got to move towards a much more integrated water management system We've got to get this obscene groundwater overpumping that's occurring in the Central Valley under control, which, you know, thankfully we have the Sustainable Groundwater Management Act that was passed and signed by the governor a couple of years ago, which is a huge step in the right direction. So now we're no longer the only state in the country that, that doesn't regulate groundwater. Even Texas does, for God's sakes. And that's a round, roundabout way of saying there is this huge, you know, coastal versus poor inland area divide. But I would say when you talk about water, it's even more important to look at north versus southern California. And again, southern California is doing so much better a job on facing the future here than we are up here. And then that's just a sad fact because we've got all the water. You know, it's, people can't be encouraged to conserve like they have to down there because it's the water is right there in front of us.
1: Jerry.
3: You know, the legislature is really good about passing laws. Eric mentioned the Sustainable Groundwater Management Act. was a huge step forward. But, of course, they sort of forgot that it's expensive to manage groundwater. We want to do more recharge. We have to build recharge basins. We have to move flood water into those basins. We have to flood fields. All that infrastructure costs a lot. Did they fund anything for the Sustainable Groundwater Management Act in the most recent Prop 68? Zero. Nope, they forgot. What about the... Uh, Sierra Nevada Conservancy. Uh, I worked on that bill. It was a great bill by current Resources Secretary John Laird. It was a wonderful bill that said we need to restore the Sierra Nevada. And that was now about 10 or 15 years ago. Have they ever provided more than a few pennies to restore the Sierra Nevada? No. This measure concludes $675 million to implement the Sustainable Groundwater Management Act, and $250 million to help restore the Sierra Nevada. Now, are we likely to ever get that out of the legislature? No, those are not things that impact the coast very much. I think that they do impact it, but they don't realize it. And so we had to do this kind of measure to fund these critically important programs, both water management programs and environmental programs. And that's the beauty of the initiative process. We can respond to state needs without having to deal with the politics in the legislature.
1: Uh, all right. I, I have a question actually about that proposition one that apparently we passed four years ago. I think I I think I voted on that, but I think like many voters, I forgot. But uh, how much was that bond for? Uh, do either of you remember off the top of your head, seven point
3: one billion, and $7. it allocated three hundred million from previous bonds as well.
1: So how is that going, Eric? You alluded to that that it's got a very it's got a good uh, process for accountability and fiscal responsibility. So how is uh, the, the money being allotted from uh, the Proposition 1 that we passed four years ago uh, being done. Is it is it, uh, if you have any idea of how it's, where it's going and how well it's doing. And then I guess the question would be, is Prop 3 coming too close on the tail of that? That's a $7 billion, another $8.89 billion. Um, could Prop 1, could we just, you know, work with that first and then see a little later about Prop 3, or do we need Prop 3 now? I'm gonna start with Eric.
2: Yeah, in full disclosure, the Sierra Club vigorously debated whether or not to support Prop 1 four years ago and we were split. Um, There was 2.7 billion dollars out of that bond that went specifically to dams, building new dams, and many many of our members just choked on that and so we ended up taking no position on it. However, I have used that example of a process as a as a reasonably good process very cumbersome very bureaucratic process but when you're allocating billions and billions and billions of dollars and there are set criteria in that bond prop 1 passed 4 years ago that say there has to be a 50% benefit to the public here we're not just going to you know build things that you know benefit farmers or benefit uh or private interests, it becomes very, very bureaucratic um, very quickly. Having said that, that's what this proposition doesn't have any of. Uh, It's the exact flip side of it. This is kind of like anarchy, or it's almost like the wild, wild west. Nine billion dollars if this thing is passed, and God only knows who's going to get money when, and we're not going to find out about it. Because there's no sort of uh, public agency like the California Water Commission or the California Water Quality Control Board keeping track of this stuff and making all that that information public.
1: Jerry, and I was just going to add, I I mean, if I remember correctly, that one was, uh, we were looking at that in the middle of a really big drought. So I don't know if that was a big deal or if that made a difference in terms of how that was written up or whatever. But I just remember that drought was a big deal back then when Prop 1 passed. So maybe that jerry i'll just let you answer to okay
3: that. so uh prop one uh, in fact was virtually identical to this measure prop three in many ways the allocation to the california water commission was directly appropriated the legislature was not allowed to review those funds or, or change them in any way and that's exactly the same way prop three is written and in fact if you look at the agencies that receive money from prop one and put it right up against the ones who are receiving it in this measure They're exactly the same because we haven't created any new water agencies. We still have the same old Department of Water Resources. I was deputy director there once, the same old state water board, the same Department of Fish and Wildlife, they get the same funds. So the idea that it's the Wild West, you'll never know, none of that's true. In fact, these are the same state agencies that got water, from, got money from Prop 1, and they have the same disclosure requirements. They have to do an audit. They have to disclose every grant on their website. There's a public process to comment. There's public regulations. Why there's any criticism of this process as compared to Prop 1, I don't know, because they're virtually identical.
2: I, I just totally disagree with that characterization. And so you're just going to have to... If you if you want to get into the details of this, you're just going to have to. I strongly suggest you read those eight um, editorials at the at the beginning point, and then you try to read um, various columnists who have opined one way or the other on this water bond to get at the truth here. If you really want to get in those details, but I totally reject that characterization that Jill go has home made. and read the measure no. itself. you know, Prop One has a hugely cumbersome bureaucratic process, it sets forth very, very specific, tough criteria about what kind of water projects can be funded. There is no such policy criteria in Prop 3. It's, that's why I say it's the wild, wild west. You know, We don't know if these projects are going to be the best bang for the buck or not. At least in Prop 1, there were extensive criteria that people had to go through all these hurdles. To qualify to get the money, and of course, a lot of the water agencies, the same people who are you know all, totally on board with this one, um, are have been belly aching about you know the Prop One process for the last several years. They can't stand the idea that the salmon have the same standing, uh, you know, as farmers do. Quite frankly, when it comes to you know funding a new uh, water project.
1: So we're bumping up against uh, our end time, but I think we have time for one more. Uh, audience question.
4: Okay. Hi. um, So I'm pretty much your average voter and um, something that I value a lot is that uh, access to clean water is a human right. So my question to Eric is if these if not these $750 million then what? And my question to Jerry is how can you assure us that that money is going to be allocated correctly to bring uh, clean drinking water to people that need it.
1: So let's start with Eric Yeah, I,
2: you know, that is such a legitimate issue. And, uh, you know, but again, cynically, I believe this is a fig leaf that Prop 3 folks put so they can say that we're, we're going to help these poor people down there in Tulare County and Fresno County, in, in the Bakersfield area, who are just re- drinking really shitty water It's contaminated with God knows what, arsenic and everything else. But it's only 750 million, only meaning only 750 million out of nine billion, which is less than 10 percent of the total. And it's the same amount of money, the level is is being given, you know, to the corporate farmers to fix the current canal you know that I, I what can i say you know the sierra club believes the failure to solve these water quality issues in these historically very poor hispanic communities is just an atrocity it's an outrage and it, it's it makes us all embarrassed to you know be part of california but there has been legislative gridlock they, they have not figured out a way to do it and part of the problem i believe is that how you raise money through taxes or something on water touches a lot of constituents and people when you're changing the status quo they get really upset and i think that's what's happened but it's it's just uh, it's appalling that we haven't haven't fixed that problem but we don't have to vote nine billion dollar bond to allocate seven hundred fifty million dollars to fix this problem that's just total total overkill
3: Jerry. So if you're a poor person that Eric described, living in Tulare County, this ain't no fig leaf. This is your chance to get safe drinking water. The legislature spent the last two years trying to come up with some alternative. They totally failed. Notice the Sierra Club wouldn't support Prop 1, which also had safe drinking water in it. So apparently it's very hard for them to find a measure that's pure enough that we can actually get some money to solve the safe drinking water problem. We have 10 environmental justice groups from all over the state, including Community Water Center, the Leadership Council for Environmental Justice, many other groups that have endorsed this bond because they don't see any other alternative. The legislature ain't doing it. And will this money be spent properly? That $750 million goes to the State Water Resources Control Board that has an excellent record of spending the few pittances that they have gotten in the past from water bonds to provide safe drinking water. If you lived in East Porterville, who knows where East Porterville is? Tulare County, all right. So East Porterville had no drinking water at all. And a previous bond did have some money for safe drinking water, and they connected them up to a local water supply, and they now have drinking water. If you don't have these bonds, you don't get that money. And the idea that someday, pie in the sky, we're going to find a wonderful solution, tell it to the people who don't have the water today that they have to wait more years and more years to get that water. I'm sorry. That's just not acceptable.
1: Thank you. Uh, All right, so I'm going to... I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask one last question, and I guess it would be, if proposition doesn't pass, what would happen for better or for worse? If proposition three passed, what would happen for better or for worse? So, Eric, I'm going to start with you. Um, if proposition three passes, what would happen, in your opinion, if proposition three doesn't pass, what, will you be better off? So... What do you want voters to think about when they go and look at Prop 3 and decide whether to vote yes or no on it?
2: Well, it's it's perhaps strange that a representative from the Sierra Club is making kind of the conservative argument, but I would look at $9 billion, which is $440 million per year for the next 40 years, and decide whether we can afford this. Um, I don't think we can. Um, So the money, simply uh, the size of the bond is so outrageous compared to even previous bonds. Um, This is even bigger than Prop 1, obviously. Um, This is, you know, this was, this is the same size bond as the high-speed rail that the voters passed. And when was that? Geez, 10 years ago or something? I can't remember exactly. But it's on that, that level. It's huge. Um, So you need to really think about that. I think people get kind of blinded when they see these numbers, and they can't tell whether it's billions or millions of dollars or whatever, but $10 billion, $9 billion is just huge. It will potentially skew how funds are allocated um, at the state level, and we may have to rob certain programs to pay the interest on that $440 million per year if this passes. I frankly am cynical I think this will probably pass I think there's a lot of educated people who will do their due diligence before they go to the polls and they will look at you know the editorial pages of their local paper whether it's Sacramento Bee or LA or San Francisco and they will kind of take it to the polls or sit down with it when they fill out their their ballot at home but there's an awful lot of people who are going to look at these glossy flyers that are going to come out from prop 3 in the last week and they're going to go, well, this sounds good. And also, this hasn't come up, but just to be very, very clear among you all, who I presume most of you are Democrats, the California Democratic Party has not endorsed Prop 3. Okay? They took no position on Prop 3. However, these evil slate cards that you all see in the last week of, of, of a general election season, are very. And that's, again, pay to play. You pony up money and you buy your place on these slate cards and they say sneaky things like that Like Democrats you know in Sacramento County are endorsing the following which is total bullshit the Democratic Party at the state level has totally taken no position on this many Democratic clubs up and down the state have debated these this issue just over the last three weeks and numerous Democratic clubs have actually opposed this proposition and i don't know how that works out vis-a-vis the state position but the democratic party heard jerry's arguments they heard our arguments and they were all set to endorse this because it sounded like milk and honey and then they listened to us and they said no this is we can't we can't endorse this so please when you see this crap coming in the last week that implies the democratic party is endorsing this those are lies those are just paid slate cards And they're deliberately phrased deceptively. And unfortunately, I think a lot of people will fall for that. And they'll think, you know, this is an environmental issue and sounds like it's a Democratic thing, you know, and, you know, I'm a Democrat and so pull the trigger. But good God, $9 billion. Just think about that.
1: All right, so Jerry, last word to you. Proposition 3, obviously we know what the upside in your, for Prop 3 when you write it down. If it doesn't pass, what would happen for better or for worse?
3: Well, for starters, the people who don't have safe drinking water will continue not to have it because there's no other funds for it. We will not have the environmental improvements that attracted this measure to the Nature Conservancy, National Wildlife Federation, and Audubon they wanted to pass because they think it will improve the environment along with a 100 other conservation groups. We will also not improve our state water supply. So when the next drought comes, we will suffer. There's no question. We'll have more... Uh, RATIONING, will HAVE LESS WATER FOR THE VARIOUS PURPOSES THAT WE ENJOY, AND SO WE'LL HAVE TO PAY THE PRICE FOR THAT. ALSO, IT WILL RAISE LOCAL WATER BILLS, BECAUSE THE STATE LEGISLATIVE ANALYST SAID, THIS WILL SAVE LOCAL WATER AGENCIES MONEY. WELL, IF IT DOESN'T PASS, IT WON'T SAVE THEM MONEY. SO YOUR WATER BILL WILL HAVE TO GO UP. Uh, As I said, the Howard Jarvis Taxpayers Association did not oppose this measure, which is very rare for them. They usually oppose all these tax and bond measures, but the Sierra Club has taken their place, apparently, and so they're now the voice of fiscal reason. But, in fact, most of the business groups in the state, state chambers and so on, they all endorse this measure. I would urge you to vote for it, and when you've heard these arguments pro and con, go home and read it. You can read it, and you can read the arguments pro and con in the legislative handbook. They're really pretty good. Thank you.
1: And thank you both, Eric and Jerry, for coming and, and talking to us about this. Um, basically, it sounds to me like, yes, Feature of Water in California and Prop 3, whether it passes or not, um, we have to look very closely about how we're going to manage our water going forward. So thank you both again for coming. And thank you all out there for listening. Appreciate it. Have a good night.
0: You've been listening to California Groundbreakers. Tonight's Policy in a Pint conversation was held on October 17, 2018 at Roost Dollars in downtown Sacramento. Many thanks to our panelists, Jerry Moral and Eric Parfrey for joining us. Thanks to J.E. Pano and Zoe Pineda of Roost Dollars for hosting this event. And, of course, thanks to you for listening. Find out when our next event is by going to our website, californiagroundbreakers.org.